Welcome to another episode of the Reproductive Justice Happy Hour. I'm your host, Kristen. And I'm Serby. And today we're going to be talking about abortion in pop culture, specifically in film and television. Yeah, I'm really excited about today's episode because we are talking about some of our favorite things. I actually just recently watched a a Bollywood movie called Salam Namaste, uh, which I watched when I was in high school in 2005. Um, But a few months back, I was like, oh, I want to watch something that's comforting. And so I wanted to watch this movie again. And they have this particular uh, story plot around uh, where the character is, uh, you know, deliberating over her pregnancy, whether she wants to continue it or terminate it. Um, And the way it plays out kind of made me think that we need to talk about this. And I think this podcast is the perfect place um, to have that conversation. Uh, But just so that our listeners know what we are talking about, we are going to play a small clip uh, that gives you a little bit more context about the particular uh, scene from the movie, and then we will continue our conversation. a lot going on <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there just in that that short clip um yeah and i think there's some good things about it that i liked um and we then, should give credit where credit's due because yes. i mean this film did help move the needle forward on several different issues such as uh, live-in relationships for example yeah and you know two people really trying to focus on their careers while also trying to manage a relationship um, and really just trying to adult together. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, it is a good movie overall if our listeners want to watch it. I think it's available on Amazon, so you can totally do that. But I think just for this particular scene, I think within even the scene, there's a lot going on that is kind of positive when we think of how abortion is represented in uh, popular culture, in this case, in movies in India. Um but then there are also certain things which kind of really um, give a very negative connotation to how abortion is perceived and understood or how people interpret that message around abortion. Um, Kristen, did you have any thoughts on what some of those things could be? Maybe we can talk about the positives first. Yeah, I mean, I think the positives are that, you know, like, you know, Ambar's character, she wants to like name it what it is. She wants to call it abortion. Um, you know, Nick is using the, the word like kill it, you know, so he's already 
um, putting an extra layer of uh, like violence around the the procedure that doesn't actually need to be there. And so she's making an effort to clarify. It's like, no, this is actually what it is. And, and call it what it is. Call it what it Abortion. is. Say the word. And she, at least up until this point in the film, and as we see that changes later on, but she doesn't really have any doubt in her mind. Just like, we need an abortion. She's very clear about this. Yeah, and I think I really like the fact that she says that, you know, you cannot equate it to killing someone. Right. It's a medical procedure. Um, and simply saying that kill it or like we don't or get rid of it really provides a very negative understanding of what abortion actually means. And also their clarification on what contraception does because... Yes. Yeah, you know, that was really good. Right. I mean, oftentimes there's this assumption that if people are having an unwanted pregnancy, it's because they were, quote, irresponsible and not using contraception. And in this case, they definitely were. Um, it's something that she like they were both able to negotiate in that relationship but as Amber said she's like I've told you like again and again it's not 100% effective and then he's right. like oh sorry you know like he somehow forgot about this <laughs> the discourse we also see where you pit contraception versus abortion and you somehow perpetuate this uh, narrative that if you everyone was using contraception women will never need abortion which is not true and this narrative is so pervasive even among people who you know frankly should know better so I mean we have like Melinda Gates for instance who says this often right and while you know the gates foundation work on contraception is uh, like differentiates them from some other organizations that are putting as big of a focus on it uh you know her intent is that like if we have a more perfect usage of contraception among more millions of women then we'll eventually eliminate that need because she doesn't want to touch it yeah so from all levels from like individual stigmatization about it to <laughs> major like multi-billion dollar like private foundation saying this it's a big right. problem who would have thought a movie from 2005 would dispel that myth <laughs> but another point i really liked i think from the scene is also um you know initially when umber says to nick that i'm pregnant and he's like uh what do you mean like how could you do this and she's like what do you mean how could i do this right you know um so there's this like Again, like I think they're trying to get the point across that pregnancy is a mutual collaborative work often. Right. Um, when the sex is consensual, it's a collaborative work. Right. Um, when it's not consensual, then of course, it's yes. a different story. And but also now with reproductive assisting technologies, uh, you know, that dynamic is also changing. Right, of course. Um, but yeah, at least in, in the in the more just normative sense to say that you know if it's consensual then pregnancy is happening because two people Both were parties were, yeah. <laughs> um Both so parties think, had an idea of the risks and they did it anyway and these right. are you know we should know like these are these are educated people like i mean they clearly have some idea of like how contraception and preventing pregnancy like they've at least had that exposure to um ways to try and not get into the situation that they're in now but even still it's just not it's not 100 percent effective and never will be yeah and um so those are some of the positives right uh what were some of the negatives and there were quite a few of them there too so um do you did you have any first thoughts when you were like listening or watching that scene well his reaction wasn't great i mean <laughs> we've touched on this yes. already that he's blaming her for the for the unwanted pregnancy even although, although he does apologize like later he, in the yeah scene. but it seems more just like he's just frustrated whatever. like how could you do this right and he's very upset and i mean yeah like i think that what it's it's not it's not a bad thing though that he does say like you know none of us neither of us want this none of us need this pregnancy and they they bring that back later in the film too like they 
they they both seem to be under the same understanding of like not wanting children at least not at that time yeah but yeah his general uh treatment of her in that moment even though he comes in and he seems very you know he's very concerned about her she's crying in the bathroom um and that concern sort of dissipates (laughs) or changes like as soon as he realizes like what the the situation actually is and yeah and it it also struck me that he never asked her what is it that she wanted right Right. he's just like he just assumes that we're gonna go now yeah we're gonna go now we both know that we don't need this kid and we're gonna go get an abortion although she does say we need an abortion like she doesn't say like i don't know what to do i'm not sure she says like it's an abortion it's called Mm -hmm. abortion we need an abortion so i mean yeah he's not giving her any time to process right she's holding the pregnancy test she's like go now right she just found out it's not like she found out a few weeks ago and she's been like thinking about this on her own before telling him right so so yeah in that moment i mean he's not the most supportive partner that he could be um yeah and i think the other most negative thing that i found was the music of course bollywood so dramatic (laughs) yeah i mean of course bollywood movies are known for this whole element of surprise and drama and suspense but i think this was just i mean i think these are more subtle things that kind of stay with people um so the way you know a certain sound is associated with a word people kind of think back to that you know even when they're not necessarily um thinking negatively about uh, a particular issue and in this case you see that both when she says i'm pregnant uh because she's not married and she's having a live-in relationship but also when he says get rid of it or kill it right and then when she says that we need an abortion all of these the word abortion are, is yes. also marked by that same like dramatic thunderclap right so um i thought that was pretty interesting but if you wanted to move on from this clip and see what really happens in the movie, um, what kind of decision she makes, um, we are sorry, but this is going to be a spoiler um, alert. <laughs> if you haven't watched the movie, you will know what happens. I guess we already did give a spoiler <laughs> alert because we told them that she gets pregnant. But it's like more of a spoiler alert for like what happens what in the second half of the film. Right. Um, you're on the edge of your seat. We're going to dispel some of that tension. But yeah, just to preface before we play the next clip. Um, so Nick and Amber both go to uh, the clinic for Amber to get an abortion. But Nick doesn't go with her because he is terrified of blood in hospitals. So he doesn't. Apparently. Apparently. So he doesn't uh, go inside uh, to meet the doctor. Um, and then, yeah. And then Amber walks in uh, to the clinic. Uh, or in the doctor's office in particular and uh, she watches this uh, other woman who's getting her ultrasound done which we just thought was totally weird because in real world that would that would never happen i mean also violation of privacy right (laughs) um but anyway this is a bollywood movie so anything can happen uh so she walks in and she watches this other woman getting her ultrasound done and i think they say in the movie that she's five months pregnant um and so amber is sitting there watching this woman get her ultrasound and then she also looks at the ultrasound and you know the the nurse i guess is explaining to the woman who's pregnant that um you know on the ultrasound you can see this really sort of well-formed fetus right and so we should say since you're not seeing this visual with us this woman is way more than five months pregnant yeah she looks like she's probably more like eight months pregnant so again all, all of these are more subtle visual cues that people are sort of absorbing while they're watching right uh the movie or a particular scene um so she umber watches the ultrasound and then um she feels i think a sense of uh really negative emotion and guilt 
Well, do we want to play the clip of what the doctor says to her? Because I think yes, that's an interesting that. conversation. Yeah. So, um, but this is what's happening, and now what you will hear is the conversation that takes place after the woman who was getting an ultrasound walks out of the doctor's office, and the consequent um, conversation between um, the doctor and Amber. Okay. one hell of a conversation <laughs> let's take a little bit of a turn here um so i mean <laughs> we have a lot of uh things that would not actually happen in real life but i mean some of the the interactions she has with the doctor unfortunately this is the kind of as you were saying before like medically dubious information that a lot of women get about uh abortion um, right yeah and you know just the fact that um first of all that she's able to see another woman who's getting an ultrasound done but then also uh, the following conversation that happens where, you know, um, it's very interesting, actually, because uh, Amber is like, oh, you know, but it's not really life uh, when it begins. It's just a tissue. And then the doctor goes, oh, well, I actually believe that life begins at conception, but maybe I'm just old fashioned. <laughs> and only then does she like ask Amber what's up. And so, yeah. <laughs> And it should be noted, I mean, they have a personal relationship. So Ambar is a medical student and this is her, I guess, assume as an advisor or, you know, one Someone of her professors. Right. right. So um, so the doctor might not have like, you know, this is a conversation she might not have had with just a patient that she didn't know in another context. Right. But also made me think, what are medical students learning about abortion right. in medical school? <laughs> well, and this has been a huge problem, right? Because I mean, you know, on the one hand, it's like, it's not like, even if doctors are supposed to separate their personal opinions and feelings from their medical work like of course it bleeds over because they're humans too mm -hmm. and they're all coming from their particular background and you know religious belief or personal experiences and that's going to impact their work in some way and also we just actually don't even though doctors are supposed to be trained in doing various methods of abortion we know that's not really happening to the extent that it should be yeah. So even before you get to the point of how stigmatized a procedure is and the restrictions that are imposed externally from policy and funding problems or whatever, you just don't even have that many doctors who are being properly trained and, and willing to do abortions. Right. And I, and I think in this particular case, um, it's also interesting that after they do have that conversation and the number is like, well, I actually need an abortion. Um, the doctor, you know, says, well, you know, it's just a 15 minute procedure. You won't feel anything. So she perhaps because of the personal relationship they share, 
She's also saying that apart from the medically, again, dubious kind of procedure, she claims that is laser technology. Right. But, which does not exist, actually. I don't, uh, you, you can't get vacuum aspiration done, but I don't know about laser technology yet. That was a new one for me. <laughs> um, you know, but she does, in a way, then says that it's nothing to worry about. Like, you know, it can be done quickly and then you won't even feel anything. Um, but unfortunately, we, we cannot, you know, convey to our listeners the sort of visual stuff going on with Umber, right? In terms right. of the emotional trauma that she's facing after having looked at this ultrasound of another woman's pregnancy, the conversation that she's having with the doctor. So, um, in, in which both the the ultrasound technician and the woman who's pregnant, they're both personifying the fetus. You know, they're right. already talked about as a child and. You know, I mean, we should note that, you know, for somebody who is having a wanted pregnancy, they are probably envisioning that fetus as already being their future child. So it's a different dynamic than... Right. But for someone who's in Umber's position, who right. is, uh, you know, in, in shock at the moment about what's going on and is not really sure if she wants to continue or terminate the pregnancy, all of these subtle, like visual and, you know, uh, audible cues that she's facing in that environment are somehow leading her to towards a particular decision. Right. Um, and we should not forget also that in response to hearing that Umbar is pregnant, the doctor says, oh, I didn't know you were married. Of course. Because only married women can get pregnant, right? So yeah. Yeah. then, you know, Umbar has this other like awkward thing of like, she doesn't like say yes or no to that, but she's just like, I need an abortion. And the doctor understands what's going on, that she's right. not married and... Um, but yeah, just a side note, I think in India, and most of our listeners, if you're in India, you would also um, resonate with this. If you go to an OBGYN, they usually just ask you, are you married? Instead of saying, are you sexually active? So right. you know, that's um, that's another thing to deal with um, in another episode. Um, but yeah, so I think coming back to this point, um, and we are going to give you a spoiler about the movie, um, Umber does uh, end up not getting an abortion uh, and she decides to continue the pregnancy. And I think... Both Kristen and I are, you know, after watching this, uh, these couple of scenes are wondering how did that whole environment, what that kind of, uh, you know, she was experiencing while in the process of making that decision led her to really um, make that particular decision about uh, continuing the pregnancy instead of getting an abortion. Um, and also, again, coming back to the point of how then popular culture becomes so powerful in how people or women when they're watching something on screen translate that into their own personal lives when trying to make uh, decisions around reproduction whether it's continuing a pregnancy or terminating a pregnancy Um, and that is the main focus of our episode today where we're talking about how abortion is represented and how all of those uh, representations or misrepresentations about abortion are absorbed by people um, when they're watching a particular tv show or movie and exactly the reason why we need to really talk about how uh, abortion is portrayed on on the big screen. Kristen, what is something that really annoys you? Hmm. So recently, I've been really stuck on the the way that a lot of British people say the word pasta. How do they say it? Pasta, which makes absolutely no sense to me because they're so much closer to Italy than a lot of the rest of us, and yet that's how they choose to say the vowel in that word. Um, yep, agree. That's strange, but maybe not annoying. I suppose that's true. Uh, when I think of something that really annoys me, and in fact, actually like really pissed me off, it's that a lot of people today can't access safe and affordable health care that includes abortion. 
That totally pisses me off too. But you know someone who is actually working towards improving access to abortion for people everywhere? Inroads, the International Network for the Reduction of Abortion Discrimination and Stigma. And we love them even more because they are the sponsors for this episode of the Reproductive Justice Happy Hour. Inroads, making inroads on abortion stigma for a healthier, happier, and more just world. Find out more on their website and abortionstigma.org. So, so yeah, I think you know whether it's a question of art imitating life or life imitating art. I mean, we're seeing some themes in in this film that are really common strategies of uh, opponents of abortion, for instance. Um, so, you know, in this case, by you know, you know by showing an ultrasound, uh, forcing the pregnant woman who's pregnant to watch it. Um, then and like personifying the fetus and implying that it's already it's already a baby it already has a life of its own in a way that it doesn't exactly that's really not the complete um medically accurate information about what's happening and it's it's implies that by doing these kinds of strategies that you're going to change the mind of somebody who was very set on having abortion beforehand and does not want children it did not want children at least not at that moment in their lives um so i think you know, it's important to highlight that in reality, even though these strategies are becoming increasingly used, I mean, not just in the United States where they've been um, deployed uh, really graphically to for the last... women's minds. Yeah. Right, I mean, and, and in India, we're starting to see this. I mean, there have been certain ads that also we have fetuses talking. <laughs> Particularly <laughs> to, in context of uh, uh, sex-selective right. uh, abortions, yeah. So this idea of this female fetus talking to the mom, being like, oh, mom, don't kill me, you know, like those kinds of strategies are now transnationally applied. Uh, but in reality, the evidence indicates that the number of abortions does not actually decrease when these kinds of um, stigmatizing rhetoric are used, but it does make women feel more traumatized by the experience of getting an abortion. Usually, by the time a woman goes to get an abortion, she's already made up her mind, or the circumstances that compel her to get one where she really can't afford to have a child for whatever reason, or doesn't want to have a child. Yeah. That doesn't change, just because she has to see an ultrasound or she has to wait an extra two days to actually get her procedure done. Right, and I think it also just infuriates me that we subject women like knowingly and consciously to this kind of trauma um, and this kind of negative environment when they're trying to make uh, an important decision about their own lives and, you know, trying to take control of their own lives in a way. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just ridiculous. And yeah, it definitely needs to be called out and um, our um, cinematic mediums need to be held accountable for, you know, the kind of impact or messages that they are sort of, uh, you know, employing in terms of uh, how these issues are represented on screen. So yeah, so the interesting point to make about Salam Namaste is that, you know, in some ways it, it is a realistic portrayal of the circumstances surrounding abortion access, um, at least, you know, in the United States, like we've seen this, and I don't know what the situation is in Australia exactly, but these are strategies that are commonly used. but. The question I want to uh, bring us to now is like, is this representative, is this film representative of how abortion is commonly portrayed in film and television in India um, and in other contexts? Like, what are some common themes that we're seeing when a character is either contemplating abortion, reveals that she has had an abortion at some point in the past, or actually has an abortion on screen and they show what happens um, during and after that procedure? And that is an interesting question because uh, 
portrayal of abortion uh, in movies or TV shows is not a very common trend. Um, and when it has happened, I think it has often just been uh, used as a, uh, you know, as a plot to kind of give a dramatic twist to the story and to push the storyline forward. Um, and of course, uh, often the narrative has also been very negative. Um, and one of the other movies that I was thinking of when you know, we were talking about Salam Namaste is um, Kya Kana. I, I'm sure some of our listeners might know of this movie. Interestingly, has And we same. refer to it in our introductory episode, yes. so you might recall um, uh, that dramatic flourish. And it right. varies, you know, okay, first off, let's just, <laughs> let's just call it a couple of interesting things about Kya Kana and Salam Namaste because that same dramatic music that thunderclap is playing in both but also it's the same actors in yes. both films yeah even and though they were five years apart which is so bizarre to me yeah and uh, again in the same kind of situation i think at this point they're called in the in calcana they're college students who have engaged in uh, premarital sex and then she ends up getting pregnant and of course the guy again says i don't want anything to do with it right so the character the woman's character is again like sort of responsible for taking that decision but in that particular movie um you know her family because they're horrified that uh, a young girl who's still in college has become pregnant and it will kind of ruin the honor of the family they are really pushing her to get an abortion right and this is a common narrative in india like in some cases having an abortion is acceptable especially when you are a young woman who's not married because having a kid outside of uh, a wedlock is way more taboo than having an abortion. Um, So again, it's not about women's autonomy, but it's more about how the society perceives what a woman should be doing at a particular stage in her life. Um, And Salam Namaste, you know, the family isn't really involved in that decision, which is interesting. I mean, that is actually a more, I would say, progressive standpoint to at least show these two individuals, even if they're you know they're kind of the relationship with one another and the moment is complicated like at least they're coming to the decision yeah and i think that largely has to do with the fact that salam namaste they're in australia right, right. They're, they're physically distant <laughs> from their families right. but also i mean the way that they've they've been like making their own um livelihoods and like as we said they've already taken the step of having to live in a relationship without necessarily an intention to get married so right. yeah there's some other hap- dynamics happening around um, the decision yeah, but coming back to Kakena, so you know her family does not want her to have the child because she's a college-going woman, and you know, and that would basically ruin the family's reputation. Um, so you have this religious element that's thrown in yes, there too. And, and I, I still vividly remember this scene, um, and I remember watching this movie as a kid, but I've gone back to it a couple of times uh you know in the past few years but so she's in the bedroom and she's crying and you know she's like i don't know what to do and so um she's really like really i think terrified of what to do next and she has this uh, photo of krishna in uh, you know on her uh on her wall and suddenly the krishna like a baby krishna yeah it's a baby krishna yes that's important it's a baby krishna and uh suddenly the baby Krishna starts talking to her uh, and there's a halo that comes off <laughs> the photo and the baby Krishna is basically saying that um, you know mother he addresses her as yeah. mother he's like don't kill me um, and he's like you know uh, you already know me you know I'm inside you um, so again that whole personification um, and, and then this woman she sort of responds to it and she's like of course I cannot kill you you're inside me you're a part of me um, and of course in the movie she ends up not getting an abortion and she 
you know has the pregnancy um but they've collapsed it's not just like an offense to like the family or an offense to the fetus but now you're like killing god so there's an extra layer of stigma that's added on to that yeah so i think that whole thing about having the photo of baby krishna rather than just some random baby yeah is really interesting and i think we maybe want to explore it later uh, at some point but you know the, the whole element of how uh, religion uh, forms perceptions around abortion and how it can sometimes perpetuate the message that having an abortion is a sin. Um, so I think it was a very sort of uh, deliberate part, you know, in terms of the di- director or the scriptwriters putting that together um, to convey the message around how horrible abortion is. Um, so it was interesting again that you know you go back to this narrative of it's used as a way to uh, move the storyline forward, but while doing that, there are tons of negative messages that mm-hmm. are perpetuated to the audience in in just a, and this is again a scene that was just like maybe two minutes long. Yeah. But the kind of messages that people are absorbing and you know imbibing from that scene is like abortion is wrong, women should not be doing it, and it's a life. And you know if you have an abortion, you're basically killing a person. So we talked a little bit about how abortion is represented or misrepresented on uh, TV shows or movies in India. And from what we can gather, there's not much of representation happening at all. Uh, But I wanted to ask you um, about what's going on with how abortion is represented on uh, screen in the U.S., Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this has been an area of emerging research, I think, in the last few years, Uh, especially, I mean, given the U.S. context, everyone knows at this point how divisive an issue abortion is um, and how politically uh, potent it can be, um, this football that keeps getting passed back and forth. Even though in the United States, as well as anywhere else, the reality is there isn't a defined pro-choice versus pro-life sides of the debate. I mean, it's a lot more nuanced about it's a lot more gray areas about what people might generally support one position or another, but uh, their feelings are a lot more complicated about the matter. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I've read too that instead of like being very uh, uh, strong opinionated on either side, most people are somewhere in the middle when it comes to having an opinion on abortion. And actually, you wouldn't know this from just reading the news or hearing politicians talk about it, but the vast majority of Americans actually support abortion in at least some circumstances. I think it's upwards of 70%, according to some recent um, figures on that. So it's also a myth that America is just like universally anti-abortion, and that includes people who are in the kinds of demographics that you would assume would be, quote, pro-life. So just something, just food for thought as an aside. but. Because it's such a divisive issue, um, that research has been trying to understand how the way abortion is portrayed in film and television media, like does it actually influence public opinion? What sort of messages are most Americans receiving about abortion? Um, and does this actually, when it comes down to whether a woman is going to choose abortion or not, like how does this affect her decision-making process? Mm-hmm. So one of the organizations that's been coming out with some uh, really well-informed research is Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Health, and they're based in California. And they've been doing a, a media-focused project for several years now, and we'll post a link to their, um, their website uh, results uh, on our website because... I mean, there's just so much to cover here, we won't be able to touch on all of the points, but they have done a really good job of organizing research by subtopic, and they also have 
uh, I'll get the name of it right. They have an abortion on-screen database, which is really cool. So in this database, they've sorted all of the American film and television depictions in which a character obtained an abortion or disclosed that they had had one in the past, um, or plot lines in which a character considers but does not have an abortion because they continue the pregnancy or because they have a spontaneous abortion, which is often called a miscarriage. Um, we need, yeah, we need something like that for India, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if, if you want to check it out, uh, they do a good job of sorting those from, I think, as early as 1913 up to the present wow. time, and they're still updating it. So that's an amazing resource. Uh, but some of the other findings they've um, come up with in their, their research as a, as a whole is that, for one thing, um, which I think is actually probably a good thing, in recent years, abortion is coming up a lot more often than it used to in film and television. Um, even on mainstream networks and even on networks that you think might be a little less open-minded toward abortion, like, you know, Fox, for instance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in, in, the, in these plot lines, um, 51% of the, situa- the scenarios that I've just mentioned, the character actually obtains an abortion. Um, so, so that alone is interesting to consider, like, there is more public representation about abortion, but unfortunately, uh, more visibility doesn't necessarily mean a clearer or more accurate message about what abortion actually means or how you might get one if you're, if you're considering it um, and you're, you're following these programs. So one of their findings is that they misrepresent the demographics of women who are actually obtaining abortion and they misunderstand the reasons for doing so. So younger white women are much more overrepresented than women of color, poor women, and women who are already mothers. And that is fascinating because, you know, what are some of the dangers of pushing a single narrative around Mm -hmm. abortion? From what you're saying, it seems like there has been an erasure of women of color and other diverse experiences from, you know, TV uh, shows and films when it comes to representing different abortion stories. Absolutely. And one of the other findings that they have highlighted that I think is important to consider is that they've portrayed abortion as much more dangerous than it actually is. So in, in reality, if um, a woman is obtaining an abortion from a trained provider in a safe and hygienic environment, the actual risk of death from abortion is practically nothing. It's, it's, just, it's not even significant as, as a statistic. It's 0%, basically. Um, That's pretty significant. <laughs> well, it's significant in that it's, right. not, it's not actually an issue, right? right. And, and again, I, I want to emphasize this is in certain conditions. So a lot of women are obtaining unsafe and illegal abortions uh, because they can't access them or afford them otherwise. So right. it's not saying that there is no risk to abortion ever, but in the circumstances... But as a medical procedure, it's right. perhaps one of the safest uh, medical procedures we know. It's far safer than carrying a pregnancy to term and going through childbirth, which yeah. is something that you don't often hear about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but in these fictional narratives, about 9% of women die directly as a result of having had an abortion. So the risk is actually exaggerated on um, on TV shows or films. Right. And a lot of the reasons, and it's not just that women are having complications with procedures being portrayed. Um, <laughs> there's really high rates of murder, uh, women getting killed by, I don't know, their, their partners or their family members, for instance. Uh, suicide or self-harm is something about like 11 
percent of the abortions in which a woman dies um or an accident which is a very convenient way to like end that plot narrative right it's like oh you know we don't have this character anymore she didn't have to make a decision or she made a decision and then something tragic befell her afterward leaving the audience to probably um make a causal link right right or something like that abortion led to this horrible ending for this character like somehow her life unraveled and just totally fell apart or fate or god or whatever was punishing her for having made this decision so but something else i was also thinking about is you know you know when we when when we talk about abortions we always think of this dichotomy of good women versus bad women and who gets an abortion and why Mm -hmm. um so i was wondering is there any research on um also you know some of these characters on tv shows and films why are they getting an abortion is that often talked about as well yes absolutely um so just just on this note when we were talking about before about the demographics of who's getting an abortion on screen versus who actually gets them in real life uh so on screen only 15 percent of characters who are getting abortions already have children but in reality 61 percent are already parenting and might intend to have more children in the future right so you know we're already setting up this narrative where like people who have abortions can't also be mothers and which brings us back to that common trope that unfortunately follows us across cultures because patriarchy that women are expected to become mothers no matter what they're expected to want to be mothers and women who have abortions who have sex outside of marriage etc are marked as being you know tainted or sinful or whatever and we have in, in in representations of these women on screen, they're often separated from the good women who are doing what they're supposed to do by staying in a marriage and becoming mothers and maybe being the primary parent for their children, etc. Yeah, I think my sense is also that in uh, in the Indian context then for films like Kalkan and Salam Namaste where, you know, women end up choosing to continue the pregnancy and although the choice should be validated i think it is important to make that point that arrived at making that decision but also maybe um you know our script writers and directors are sort of like well we don't want to challenge the dominant narrative that every woman has to become a mother at some point right right and so really showing a, a decision where a woman goes ahead and has an abortion is you know, in direct contrast to that very dominant idea that every woman has uh, an inclination towards motherhood and she wants to have a child. Um, and I think that, that that's what prevents perhaps people from really diving into that storyline, exploring all the possibilities that could happen, uh, you know, by um, representing if a woman were to have an abortion on screen. Right. And I mean, there's a few different reasons we can speculate why they might be. I mean, for one, unfortunately, still like, I mean, a lot of screenwriters, producers and directors are still men. Yes, we need more women. We need more women. And it's not just like having more women uh, be able to work in the industry, but changing some of the systemic things, um, such as sexual harassment, that women often face uh, once they enter the industry in order to make it possible for them to... um, be able to challenge uh, these kinds of dominant storylines but which is not to say that male directors and screenwriters couldn't present these storylines they just have to um think of them as important and you know as we know sometimes if something is not in our direct personal experience it, it doesn't it doesn't come up as something that um we think to write about frankly um, but in addition to that, I mean, they might be afraid of alienating their viewers, so the showrunners don't want to put an abortion narrative on. Yeah, it often doesn't have sort of like a mass appeal that right. you know, other story or plot lines might have, for instance. Or they worry about losing advertisers. Yeah. If it's considered a controversial issue in that context. 
Um, so, you know, along these lines, I think it'd be good to kind of end with like some of the common reasons that TV characters get abortions compared to how um, the reasons real women often give for for having abortions. And, um, and as a side note, we need more research on this. Like, it's amazing that this organization is putting forward the effort to put this together, but um, we need research that happens outside of the U.S. context and that happens. Uh, more like longitudinal studies over mm-hmm. time um, because people's opinions about abortion are changing. Yeah. Um, and in some hopeful directions, I would right. say. And it also just, I think, allows us to this kind of research. Um, you know, if we were to do this in Indian context, for instance, then it allows us to see what has the trajectory been. You know, right. what we are talking about, at least for the Indian uh, scenario right now, is it's in our limited experience of what we have witnessed. Uh, you know on screen uh, we don't really I mean I, I don't really know actually and I don't think there's been any writings done either on how perhaps in uh, the 1920s for instance right. or the 1960s you know some often called the golden era of Bollywood like how was abortion portrayed so maybe having a research lens to really examine how cinema was at that point used to talk about these issues um, I think would be really cool Absolutely, especially because um, there is some interesting research that came out in the 1970s in India. Um, so in the first few years after the um, MTP, uh, the Medical Termination of Pregnancy Act, was actually established in India, mm-hmm. um, that people seemed generally supportive of it. I mean, there were some studies done with college students at the time um, who didn't really actually have that strong of an objection to abortion. and. So in a way, like the pendulum is like kind of swung in the other direction. Right. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting to see how the that debate and the introduction of such a big um, a big policy shift like the MTP Act um, may have influenced media that came out around the same time. Um, but yeah, so just before we move off from this um, this research itself. Um, I just wanted to note that so some of the most most common reasons that TV characters get abortions are the most common reason is that it interferes with the character's future opportunities, which fair. I think it's a reason yeah. a lot of actual women get abortions, um, or that they're not mature enough for a baby. Pregnancy happened because of rape, um, or the character never wants children or is not financially prepared. And you can see some overlap among these reasons too, especially if it's a a, a teenager who is encountering an unwanted pregnancy. And does the fiction mirror reality in this case? Not exactly. I mean, the reasons, I think, all like women do get abortions for all of these reasons, but the proportion is vastly different. Um, and there's one point in particular that exists in reality that we don't really see on TV. Um, so the most common reason women cite for getting abortions is that they're not financially prepared. Um, or it's not the right time for a baby is the second most popular reason. And then partner-related reasons, which is an interesting point to note. And It's, it's interesting that's not ever actually talked about on screen, because that's not one of the reasons, right? You may have a partner on screen who is involved in the decision-making process or is informed about the abortion later, for instance. Um, but yeah, and this is an important, like especially sometimes when... This is a sign of um, intimate partner violence sometimes when a woman has repeated unwanted pregnancies that, which is not always the case. Um, you can uh, elect to have multiple abortions in your lifetime, even if you're not having uh, a situation where your partner is being violent toward you. 
But if you if a woman can't negotiate contraception in her life, it's often a sign that there's some other things in her life that she can't yeah. <laughs> negotiate um, that are putting her at more risk. Uh, but the, the last two reasons that women get abortions in real life is that they need to focus on other children, and that's almost 30%. That's 29% that of women. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or that it interferes with future opportunities, which is the the least cited kind of reason on this particular list um but i mean if you're if you're thinking that you're you're trying to focus on children you already have you are in a sense also thinking about future opportunities um for your existing family but but yeah just coming back to the same point that oftentimes women who get abortions are mothers Mm -hmm. already yeah there's no dichotomy that women who have kids do not get abortions or women who have abortions do not have kids um you know like a woman can have an abortion and have a child (laughs) it's the same woman right i mean a lot of these reasons will apply to the same woman (laughs) at different stages of her life yeah oh well this is such fascinating research and um you know my head is already buzzing with a lot of possible research questions that we could explore in the indian scenario But moving on from research, Kristen, what are some of your favorite representations of abortion, perhaps in the recent few years, in um, particularly American popular culture? Yeah, I mean, there's been some really interesting, exciting examples that have come out in even just the last couple of years uh, that were finally starting to get a a narrative other than abortion means necessary trauma and death. (laughs) And, you know, the the forever maligning of a woman's, quote, good character. so a lot of the stories we hear about abortion don't really get at the ambiguities and the the complicated feelings that women might have about abortion um, whether they've actually been through one or whether they are just considering abortion as a concept in general so three of my favorite uh, fictional representations of abortion that allow space for a more ambiguous and non-judgmental narrative are uh, there was a television series that recently came out on Netflix, Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Um, and so, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the series, and I, I do recommend the series in total, um, but there is one episode where uh, one of the main characters, Ruth, has an abortion. And uh, I think one of the things I loved about this portrayal of abortion in particular is that, you know, these, these are short episodes, they're probably like half an hour long each. And it wasn't, it wasn't even the whole episode. I mean, they, they gave the topic, I think, enough space and respect um, to show like how she considered this decision and she went, they showed her going through the procedure and she had the support of this guy that I don't even really know if he'd call her his friend at that point, but they almost like their friendship deepened because they, he was there supporting her um, during this procedure. But just the kind of like the frank and honest conversation they have about it. And then after that, it doesn't actually enter the plot at all. She, she has the abortion, she's secure in her decision, and she's able to go on with um, the work that she's doing, which having a child at that time was not, was not going to allow her to do that, would have friended her from um, mm-hmm. acting on this show that she's on. And um, so I haven't watched Glow yet, but I definitely yeah. want to watch it soon. Um, was this a woman of color in the show? No, she's a white woman. So okay. she's a, a white woman of relative privilege um, who's undergoing abortion. But it takes place in the 1980s, and mm-hmm. which is interesting and, and kind of sad 
to think about how much more difficult it might be for... That was the time of the culture wars, right? Uh, I think in the U.S.? But I think that, you know, Planned Parenthood wasn't... This is when it was first emerging. I mean, this is when the, the Christian right was becoming uh, a much more aggressive political force like we see it today. But that was, this was still kind of like at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the organization Planned Parenthood wasn't under attack to the same degree as it is now. Like, this is sort right. of at the cusp of <laughs> what the horrible things that were to come. But she's able to just, yeah, make an appointment go to a clinic it was a pretty smooth process it was a pretty smooth process it's not um i mean she's really strapped for cash so it's like it is a financial burden for her but it's not that she had to pay thousands of dollars for an unsafe procedure somewhere um and she's you know she has a quick recovery and she's totally fine afterwards so um so yeah it's like in a way a lot a lot of women even white women from a relatively privileged background would have a lot more difficulty getting abortion in the u.s today right um so two other films that i know that we both have watched and loved are uh, obvious child with uh, jenny slate a former snl alum and uh, the movie we just watched called grandma with the amazing comedian uh, lily tomlin yeah, and I think both of those movies uh, really do a good job of, uh, again, they talk about abortion, but they're not just abortion stories. They are so much more about the lives of these characters, their struggles and the, uh, you know, the complex emotions they're dealing with and trying to manage their relationships. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely loved both movies, um, and especially with Grandma, because I think we were just talking about earlier how having perhaps a person of authority in a in a you know in a character so whether it's a doctor or a grandmother can sometimes pave the way for people to um look at an issue um and maybe get a better sense of it than just if it's a it's a random person (laughs) who doesn't have that sense of authority so i think grandma was definitely um interesting and both these movies actually have very uh uh like they use humor in a in a really cool way yeah. to get the point across because do you remember that scene from uh, I think grandma where she is with her uh, you know granddaughter at the abortion clinic um, and she's talking to the doctor about the you know the different kind of procedures that might be done so she's like oh do you do DNC here <laughs> and the doctor is like no we don't live in the the, the dark, dark ages, ages anymore, anymore or something but we instead use vacuum aspiration so it's it's medically accurate but right. the, also the way it's talked about it's like people would be like okay they're just having like a like conversation but it's actually about an abortion how abortion procedures are performed um so i think that was very uh, like really good combination of using uh humor but also medically accurate information to provide to the audience and that's really rare because when abortion comes up you don't really learn that much about the procedure it's more just like about the decision and then you might not even see the character go to the clinic or whatever it just sort of it just happens you know and like vanish and the next scene is dealing with the aftermath of that um and i think you know something else i liked about both of those films and and sorry we're just kind of riddling this with spoiler alerts but you should see these films anyway because they're some of the best um, and most accurate. Maybe we'll uh, make our audience excited to actually watch these movies. I hope so. I mean, <laughs> this is how I often feel when podcasts talk about things that you know I find are interesting. I'm like, oh, it doesn't really ruin it for me. But just you know, this is a warning for anyone who wants to to cut this off now. But um, both in Obvious Child and Grandma, um, as you mentioned before, the abortion is only part of 
the story and we're seeing a much more a much fuller um experience of these characters lives and how they interact with each other but interestingly enough the abortion narrative is actually a relationship builder right rather than destroying relationships it's not yeah so in in grandma you have um you know the grandmother and the granddaughter are and even her daughter well, she's a, so the grandmother's estranged from her daughter, yeah. kind of, right? I mean, they've had a difficult relationship for a long time, and eventually they they end up coming together to help the granddaughter get the get the abortion because sort of the main driving plot in the film is that she needs money to get a, a procedure at a private clinic. She doesn't have six hundred dollars. Neither does the grandma. So they're trying to cobble together all of their resources to make this happen for her, um, so she can still make her appointment that's later scheduled for later that same day. So, um, but because of this, the relationship between the grandmother and her daughter and her granddaughter all becomes a lot closer and helps actually heal some of those rifts that had been in, in their lives for, for a lot, much longer time. Um, and the same thing in Obvious Child because uh, Jenny Slate's character becomes pregnant as a result of a one night stand with this guy that she actually likes. I mean, she, she meets him, she gets pregnant, she has the abortion, there's that narrative, but she doesn't actually want to give up on having this relationship with the guy. And so you see in him coming to support her after she has the abortion that they are actually maybe starting something. And yeah. the film ends on a very hopeful note. Yeah, both of these films actually end yeah. on a hopeful note. And, and that I think that is so radical, right? Because, it is. Um, you know, instead of constantly perpetuating the stigma that abortion destroys women's lives it destroys all their relationships here are these stories which are actually saying no it can actually help women feel more empowered in a way to manage their relationships better um, and feel more confident about their choices and their life trajectories but i think it's uh it's worth noting that um, all of these examples that we have used so far have uh white women yeah. as the protagonist uh in the stories um and kind of uh you know just corroborates the data which says that there's very few women of color uh, whose experiences around abortion are represented on uh, big screen and not only are these women white but they're relatively privileged if they don't if they're also relatively broke <laughs> um and none of them are already mothers right. um so again making that point that the kinds of women who were shown having yeah. abortions have to be shown as like unattached from these other roles right and yeah but i think we can provide some examples i think uh, and we have shonda rhimes to thank for that right um i think gray's anatomy much uh, earlier in its episode when christina yang was still part of the show uh, as one of the characters um and scandal with carrie washington an mm-hmm. african-american woman um i think they uh both have their abortion experiences represented on um uh, the tv screen and i think another show that we would have really loved uh for to explore this abortion angle would have been the mindy project where the key protagonist mindy lahiri is actually an OBGYN. right <laughs> <laughs> and you know and she's talking about all of these issues of like menstruation and contraception and you know having the talk with your kids and just all birth these other control, things, birth right. control, yeah, and so and it's all done in a very non-judgmental and you know sex positive way, sex positive and humorous way, right? So I, I think it was really disappointing. I um, mean, we both are big fans of the Mindy Project, so it, it was really disappointing for us to see that 
the show never actually came to um, explore the abortion angle, which could have been an amazing uh, way to raise awareness, especially among young women. Yeah, because I mean, even if they didn't show one of the actual characters of the show um, having an abortion or contemplating abortion, like you were saying, there are other opportunities in the medical kind of talk that happens in um, the development of Mindy Lahiri's character where she could have at least brought it up. Um, But instead, they go with a much more, I would say, safe storyline of she has an unintended pregnancy, but she continues the pregnancy and has the child. Right. Um, So, and she's, you you can read more about this. Um, We're not going to get into the weeds of uh, her decision not to include abortion on the show. Yeah, but I think the key takeaway is um, from this that while there have been increasing representations of abortion experiences on screen, we do need um, more diversity and perhaps more nuanced uh, representations, especially when it comes to women of color and their experiences. Do you know what time it is? It's time for a feminist shout out. Yay! What do you want to give props to today? Uh, so my feminist shout out for today is uh, The O Project, which is oh. a steamy series featuring photos of women from all around the world before, during, and after orgasm. I really um, like the name yes, also. Yes, The O Project, yeah. And um, it's really cool because uh, it's uh, being done by Brazilian photographer Marcos Alberti in collaboration with a women's sex toy company called Smile Makers. And the whole idea behind the O Project and the photo series is really to break the stigma and silence around female sexuality and really just normalize the conversation around orgasm and female pleasure. And Because women really, actually have both. Yes. <laughs> we don't often talk about it and we don't talk about it enough. So right. um, I think this is a really cool photo series and I really like the fact that uh, it is. Uh, it includes women of all nationalities, um, and that has been a very considerable decision by uh, the photographer to mm. ensure that it's inclusive, um, and also touching upon conservative cultures where orgasm is definitely not spoken about. So I would really recommend our listeners to check this out, and we can definitely share a link on our website, yeah. but it's available on the Board Panda website right now. Cool. Mine, what about you? Uh, mine is actually also art-related. Okay. Uh, I wanted to highlight the work of the uh, Delhi-based illustrator and graphic designer Krutika Susarla today. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, her Instagram is awesome anyway, and you should definitely follow her uh, at, at Krutika. If you are on Instagram. If you're on Instagram. <laughs> or not. I mean, you don't have to be on Instagram to see her work, actually. It's available online. Uh, but one really cool thing that she did uh, last year was she participated in the 36 Days of Type project. Um, which is an annual call to designers and artists uh, around the world to do their own take on alphabet and number series. That's very cool. It's very cool, especially because she chose to do the Indian feminist movement for hers. Awesome. So she uh, created a series of um, 36 or more artworks, and in each one she highlighted a particular concept or individual or um, an issue within like an incredibly diverse Indian feminist movement. So including highlighting some things that we don't often talk about, but definitely using a really comprehensive intersectionality lens to do her work. And her graphics are just really cool looking, and I recommend uh, checking them out. Um, But something else, it was cool to read about her journey when she was going through this process, because she talked about how, you know, she did an incredible amount of research. Um, She was already coming from a feminist background, but she wanted to really make sure that each and every... um, concept of person she chose she like had the 
the right resources to back it up and, and like help people learn more if they wanted to. Right. Um, so she talks about going through this epic rabbit hole of learning. And I just think that's cool because, I mean, to highlight something we've talked about on this podcast before, that we're all still learning and that should be part of the, the process of being feminist that we celebrate. Absolutely. And acknowledge. So, yes. so yeah, I would shout out to, love to check it out. Yeah, shout out to Kritika. Yay. I think it would be an interesting exercise to um, sort of conclude our episode with, you know, now that we've been through some of the research on uh, abortion and media and some of the examples we have, like both good and bad, um, about abortion in television and um, in films, I think it would be a good idea to speculate, like, what would we like to see happen in the Indian context in the near future? based on these platforms that we see um, emerging and gaining uh, a new audience following, uh, such as the web series or such as the Make Kutui Karsakti Hoon that's in collaboration with an activist organization, for instance. Um, yeah, what's the potential? Because they're still not really grappling with abortion in general. Yeah, so it's time to put on our director's or scriptwriter's hat and um, explore what would be some things that we would like to see and perhaps like to not see when we're talking about abortion right. storylines. Um, I think one of the things that really matters is to know our audience, right? And um, and that kind of also is uh, then going to help us to determine what kind of platform. So for instance, if you're really trying to reach out to young people and build right. their understanding on abortion as... Um, a rights issue which is about women's bodily autonomy and her ability to determine her own life trajectory then we might want to really definitely explore a web series or uh, a podcast for instance like a uh, like a radio like a talk radio show for Mm -hmm. instance but if we were thinking more of reaching out to mainstream audience which is what Meg Kuchpika Sakti was doing then we might want to think of collaborating with a more conventional uh, TV network which is what the, the show is doing um, so I think that would kind of determine how um, we think of our audience and the media platform that we want to use. And we don't want to assume that just because a woman is living in um, a rural context or in a joint family situation that she wouldn't also find the web series interesting or vice versa. Because, you know, plenty of young urbanites also watch Saspahu serials <laughs> and enjoy them or, you know, that's something that's been part of their, their upbringing. Um, but just thinking in practical terms, if you are going to watch a web series, you need a laptop and you need a good streaming connection. This is just not something that's available right. to And the everybody. awareness that there are web series out there to be watched. For right, instance, exactly. Right? Um, and it's, you know, we've talked about this in different ways, but representation does matter. And while it doesn't mean you can't connect with somebody who is living a life that seems totally different from, from you, uh, it, it, is, it is helpful to have characters that are going through the same kind of things that you have experienced or might experience in a, a more relatable setting. So just thinking about like, it's not like one or another platform is a better format, but we should be developing all of these formats together. Yeah, and I think in terms of a storyline, uh, what would be ideal is actually that there is no ideal storyline, right? right? No one abortion experience is, uh, you know, is the same. Right. Um, and so there's really, an imp- uh, there's really a need that we don't script um, you know, a narrative that is then applied to all sorts of abortion experiences that women have. Um, so we really need storylines that are willing to be brave and explore the unexplored frontiers <laughs> of abortion storytelling. So there's actually a really interesting potential to be had um, within the format of a conventional serial because 
you have a longer time to build relationships with the characters. Uh, so we had talked, for instance, about, um, you know, like one example of a way they could bring in talking about abortion is perhaps a, a woman's been married for, I don't know, a, a couple years, and she still doesn't have a child, but she wants to continue her education, that's something that's very important to her, and then she uh, gets pregnant unintentionally. So what does she do in a situation? She's living in a joint family, and... Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, because, I mean, part of the, uh, you know, the key aspect of why these shows work is because they have this suspense and element of tension. Right. uh, Which also invites viewers to kind of, uh, you know, think about what is it that the character will do next. So we definitely don't want storylines that are, like, obvious and preachy, but we want storylines that are exactly the case that you are mentioning, like, what is it that I mean the viewers are compelled to think what is that what is the next step that the woman should take so it could be that she um you know she decides that I want to continue with my education I want to continue to focus on my career so I do not want a child but it could be that you know because she's already been married for a couple of years there's social pressure around her why haven't you had a child yet can you even have a child and so or you know her partner is ready for the child but she's not ready for it so how are they negotiating that conversation uh, if they stay in a joint family situation that our in-laws are like, well, we need a baby, we need a grandchild, right? Yeah, and they might even offer a tip, right, exactly. Right, we'll take care of it and uh, you can continue to focus on your education after the pregnancy. So there are all of these different scenarios that are possible. Um, and I mean, the you know, the of course, the production team can then decide which one line to choose, but it really should compel the audience to think about all of these things and also... Um, get the point across that women make decisions for you know uh, different uh, reasons um, and so if one character is making a decision for instance to continue the pregnancy um, it could be that for instance what you were saying earlier that if she has a sister-in-law who's younger and in the same situation she might actually decide to terminate the pregnancy because she's like no I would rather focus on my career and education or maybe that I don't really want a child for whatever reason right um, and so the storyline that would continue over some time because you've yeah. already gotten to care about these characters and if you're a follower of the show you know what had happened with um, the first woman right you know if she decided not to have an abortion and the reason she considered so you know, yeah, I, I think the Indian viewers are actually very emotionally invested in in these long running TV shows because I've seen my own grandmother like screaming and like getting upset if a character didn't do something that she wanted yeah. her to do. So you know, they are actually really emotionally invested in uh, knowing what's happening with these characters. And the showrunners cultivate that too, right? Yeah. I mean, with the, with the dramatic music and like the scenes yes. where everyone stares at each other when something right. like big is supposed to be happening yeah. and. Yeah, I mean, that engagement is is there early on. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that in this scenario, if it's a storyline that happens later on, maybe people would be more compassionate toward the sister-in-law. Yes. Having an abortion, um, even if she doesn't already have children, just because they've, they've already been thinking about it for some time before that comes up from characters that they care about that aren't being um, cast in this binary of, like, the evil, corrupt woman or this saintly wife right so yeah those nuances definitely need to be brought to light and you cannot have just black and white sort of 
situations where people are like okay this is where you should have an abortion this is where you don't have an abortion but really also like not underestimating the audience right, right? exactly like really understanding that these are people these are like complex lives and the audience knows that they're living you know their own experiences so really inviting them to also think along um, um, especially when it comes to social issues like abortion um, but the other thing that you were talking about the dramatic music like oh, I yes. really like some of it to kind of <laughs> ease off but also perhaps use this dramatic music when a woman is making her own choice right like uh, like you know instead of saying that oh like instead of having the music at the point when she's like oh no you know I'm choosing to have an abortion maybe have a celebratory music there I don't know but these are just like dramatic in a different sense I mean it it should mark like a pivotal moment in the narrative I mean that's what the music is there for is to help like cultivate the sense of emotion that you're but as an acknowledgement that yes the woman is making her own choice (laughs) not this like terrible thunderclap that sounds like you know god is striking you down kind of thing and yeah so yeah there are a lot of things that can be done um and we're really hoping that you know newer generation of screenwriters and directors and movie and tv producers are taking a note of this and more factual information please i mean this is why pfi's collaboration is great this is why some of those films we mentioned before that have found a way to interweave like accurate information about abortion um such as grandma like we we need so much more of that yeah Uh, especially because this might be the only information that people are getting about abortion since comprehensive sexuality education is still uh really not a thing in india and it's so stigmatized when you know anyone tries to bring it up or suggest that it's something that should should happen in schools or even otherwise you know uh even if the information is out there it's often so dry and so like yeah uh, rudimentary in terms of the language people may not be no one wants to read a interested. pamphlet right so uh, these uh you know tv shows or movies can really become a way to impart that important information um, and yes, no alternative facts, even if it's a fictional show. <laughs> right. No you, can still facts, have, you can still have tension and drama about it and still, you know, still be close <laughs> to showing like what might actually happen if somebody is considering abortion. Because they, you know, otherwise, as we saw in Salam Namaste, like if that was the a woman's only exposure to what having an abortion might be like, you know, even assuming that she could afford to go to a private clinic uh, and have one it might be traumatizing enough to put her off from even really considering it because that doctor really was just like taking the choice kind of like not not taking the choice away but she was very much positioning herself as having a clear opinion about it and that abortion was not what she what she considered the right thing to do so thank you again for listening to this episode of the reproductive justice happy hour uh We would invite you to visit our website for more resources on uh, the research on abortion in film and media. And in particular, if you know of any uh, representations of abortion, uh, especially in the Indian context, we would love to hear from you. So please send us an email or drop us a message on Facebook uh, with your comments. And go watch some movies about abortion. And don't forget to join us for the next RJ Happy Hour. Until then... Your feedback and support means a lot to us. And you can find us on our website, rjhappyhour.com, Facebook as Voice Your Abortion, or email us at hello at rjhappyhour.com 
with any comments or questions about what you've heard or things you'd like us to touch on in future episodes. Bye for now. Thank you.